SM Training and Nutrition Podcast. In this episode, I discuss protein, ways in which you can achieve a calorie deficit and finally tracking calories with some practical tips you can use to increase your accuracy. So first of all, protein. You know, a good quote that I use when I'm teaching is everything we do, everything we are and everything we depend on the action of thousands First of all, protein. A good quote that I use when I'm teaching is, everything we do, everything we are, and everything we become depend on the action of thousands of different proteins. You know, proteins have functions such as enzymes. They help transport substances within the body. They function as hormones released from the endocrine system. They help us move. They help us fight diseases you know, and many more. There's more to protein than just getting jacked and looking huge. You know, I'm pretty sure if I said to you about protein, you would automatically think about big muscles. That being said, protein does play a pivotal role in muscle and improving body composition. From a food perspective, higher protein can stop you overeating. It can give you the feeling of being fuller quicker. If you feel fuller quicker, you'll eat less throughout the day, a calorie deficit can then become easier to achieve. You'll also find it easier to maintain muscle mass, especially while in a calorie deficit. You know, I mentioned on a previous episode that the goal when in a deficit is to maximise fat loss and minimise tissue loss, and protein can definitely help with that. How much protein should you eat, you might be thinking? Well, the recommended amount for the average person is 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight. For most of you listening, however, you'll be active individuals, you know, going to the gym, doing group exercise classes, moving around a lot more. You'll require more then as a result. The recommendations from the International Society of Sports Nutrition which are kind of like the gold standard, if you like, suggests that the majority of exercising individuals should consume between 1.4 and 2 grams per kilo of body weight to optimise exercise-induced training adaptations. The research also suggests that the figures are similar for those wishing to improve their body composition. It can actually be as high as 2.4 grams per kilo of body weight. Resistance exercise, strength training, weight training, whatever it is you want to call it, this should also be part of any exercise regime. You may be thinking as well, whoa, 1.4, 2 grams per kilo, that's a huge amount of protein. There's no way I can do that. It's not something to, you know, if you are already eating, say, 0.8 grams per kilo or even less, pretty much doubling your intake will seem like an excessive amount. It's something that you can build to. It's something that you can take time, weeks to get to that point. Ideally, you want the protein that you consume to be coming from whole foods and not in a a supplemental form. Yes, supplements can be great if you feel you are struggling to eat more whole food than 
you know, what you need to do, then you can use, say, like a, a protein shake or protein bar, something like that, just to increase your overall protein content. But where possible, aim to have it from real food, whole food. Now, something that can be a bit of a pitfall is that there can be too much focus on protein and the other macronutrients, carbs and fat, start getting pushed aside, they start getting neglected. Now, carbs and fats are important in their own right. You never want to cut out a complete food group anyway, but carbs in relation to exercise are needed for energy. They are muscle sparing. So what that means is that, you know, if your carb intake is low, muscle tissue can be broken down um, to try and get additional energy, which is, is not something you want. Somewhere around two to four grams per kilo of body weight of carbohydrates is a good starting point, but it does really depend on your overall activity levels. If you're not too active, then you might be on the lower end. If you're extremely active, going to the gym, playing sports, you know, spending hours per week, then most likely be over that four mark. But somewhere around there is a good starting point. Fats, they're just as important, you know, also supplying energy, but also helping provide structure and absorption within the body, just to name a few examples of functions. But as a guide, you wouldn't want to go much less than 25% of your overall calorie intake from fat. Foods will then start to taste a bit bland. It's the fat that can give it that nice taste. You know, that's why we can, we can crave a bit more of kind of the higher fat foods because it tastes nice. And if you take all the, the nice stuff out, you'll just end up craving more. You'll feel really restricted. And that's potentially going to do more harm to your overall diet than, than good. Now, if you're tracking your calories, which I'll, I'll talk about that later on in this podcast, it's good to focus on overall calories and protein. Carbs and fats can make up the rest of your calories, but there's not really a need to be overly specific about them. I know I've just mentioned some figures there as a guide, but if you are not looking to be in a deficit and you are looking to improve body composition, calorie total and protein would be my first go-to. These, these are the figures that you want to really keep track of. Now, before I get on to tracking calories, I wanted to chat about something that I often get asked about. You know, there's different types of diets out there. There's vegan, vegetarian, keto, and so on. You know, your diet choice can be down to beliefs, religion, culture, and or the associated health benefits of that particular diet. Not a problem with that. You know, absolutely crack on. It's you do what you want to do. But you've maybe also heard of intermittent fasting which is not really a diet as such, but a method of eating or a protocol, if you want to call it that. Intermittent fasting diets, or IFDs, have become fairly popular in recent years. And a lot of that is due to the attention they get from celebrities you know, on social media. For a while, it was the kind of the buzzword in fitness. You know, it's what you had to do to improve body composition. There's evidence that IDS can be effective as they can help reduce weekly energy intake, which, as you know, can help put you into a calorie deficit. 
But it is worth highlighting though that they may be a poor choice for people who are prone to eating disorders. Having select windows where you consume foods might put a lot of pressure on some people and yeah, just lead to developing of, of poor nutritional habits, which is not what we want to see. A version of an IFD that you may have heard of is the 5-2 diet. This diet involves eating normally five days of the week. You know, you restrict your calories to 500 if you're female or, or 600 if you're male for two days of the week. And usually you separate those from more fasted days. So two to three days apart. So for example, you would fast more on the Monday and a Thursday. Although this can have implications if you're very active, as I've said, training the gym, group X, running or so on. On the low calorie days, 500 or 600 calories just may not be enough to fuel your day. I don't know about you, but if I only had 500 calories for one day and I'm being active and going to the gym or whatever it is, I'd be trying to eat my own fist. I'd be absolutely starving. You know, so you've got to think about these restrictive days. If you are following a 5-2 diet, you know, these low restricted days may be best suited for more recovery days or rest days. Days when you just aren't moving as much. Consuming a higher protein food on those restrictive days, those fasted days, um, will also help you feeling fuller for longer. So that's known as satiety uh, and can help maintain muscle mass while there's not much in the way of nutrients coming in on those specific days. Now, if you've never heard of IFDs, that's absolutely fine. But if you have, the more kind of common IFD that you've maybe heard of before is a fasting period within 24 hours. So what I mean by that is that often it's a, like a window of 8 hours of eating. So you fast for 16, you have a window of 8 hours to eat your full daily allowance. So it may sound like a lot of time when you're fasting, but you're asleep for a chunk of it, so that decreases the amount of time where you're actually thinking about food. So more often than not, it's between 12 noon and 8pm. This is where you eat your daily allowance of calories. Before or after this time stop, you'll be fasting. You know, fluids can still be consumed throughout. Water, for example. But you don't want to be eating out with this window you know other examples you could be you eat for four hours and you fast for 20 and that still equates a 24-hour window you know the idea behind it stays the same that it's hard to eat your full amount of calories in a lesser time period now i'd like to think i'd give it a good run for its money i'm pretty sure i could eat my full daily allowance in a an eight hour or four hour window but it's the idea that you feel fuller. So it becomes down to more the quality of food that you're consuming. That if you are eating whole foods, fruit and veg, higher protein intakes, all these things, you know, full fiber or high fiber, I should say, all these things can help you feel fuller. And you know what it's like when you feel stuffed? You just, you start to feel sick if you eat too much. So then you don't eat. It takes time for that food to be digested and then that can overall help your calories be lowered for that time. 
Some people may enjoy having this kind of on-off switch, if you like. It's a green light. Let's go, go, go. Eat your calories. Anyway, it can be a good way of limiting unnecessary additional calories. Although, I would say at this point, it's important to note that studies, when they've compared um, IFDs to continuous calorie restriction, it shows no difference in weight loss if the calories are matched between the groups. So if you're consuming 2,000 calories per day, whether that's in an eight-hour window or spread out throughout the day, you will still have the same result according to these studies. It just may work for other people and having that, right, it's eight o'clock, I'm now fasting for the night, I'm not having anything else, it potentially reduces the the risk of temptation, whereas some people can find that really restrictive and maybe they've not had enough food within their time window. After eight o'clock, they start to feel hungry. Or on the flip side, in the morning, they wake up. A lot of people, when they wake up, they are waking up hungry. But then if this fasting period doesn't end until 12 o'clock, noon, then you potentially have four or five hours to go, if not longer, before you can consume anything. So for some people, that can be a, a negative. You, as a result, may not move too much within the morning because you're not having the calories coming in, the energy coming in. If you're not moving as much, that can actually impact your energy output. So yes, you're restricting your calories coming in, as a result for the body compensating you're actually also restricting your calories going out so that deficit starts to be chipped away at if not going back to just maintenance so neither surplus nor a deficit so what does this mean for you it means that you don't have to fast to achieve better fat loss if it's not for you don't do it you know, you've got to figure out what, what is right for you. Can you cope with IFD or can you or would you be better off just having that continuous calorie-restrictive diet? Which then leads me nicely on to the part I really wanted to talk about and that is the tracking of calories. It's a way in which you can use and help you to achieve a calorie deficit. So what is tracking food? This is where you record everything that you consume in a day. The aim is to be as accurate as possible. And this is where things like weighing your food can come in. You know, having X amount of grams compared to a portion size will work better because really what is a portion size? You know, your portion size compared to mine will be different, I'm sure. Your normal portion size may be twice the recommended so that's something to consider, you know, that sometimes we just don't know by eye if we're not used to certain amounts, what a portion size is. We may think that's the correct portion, but having a slightly larger portion size than what's recommended can add a good few calories onto your daily total, which again can impact this deficit that we're looking to achieve. You know, you can write things down on paper, you can keep track on your phone, or most likely use an app 
for this. So the probably the most common app that you've heard of would be MyFitnessPal. And on a side note, don't pay attention to the calorie figures that these apps tell you to consume. They're often way too low and will have you trying to eat your fist in no time. You know, you'd be starving, you'd be sitting there thinking about food all day. And the more you think about food, the more you want to have food. It's like if, you, if you've got a child, if you tell that child not to do something, instinctively they'll want to do it because it's now something they're thinking about. So if you're sitting there thinking about food all day long, most likely you're not eating enough. And maybe I'd want to adjust your calorie figures. You know, you can use an online calculator or speak to your local fitness professional and they can help you really kind of hone in on what your daily requirements are. These would be an estimate. These can be adjusted depending on what progress you're making. Are you feeling way too hungry? Are you feeling full? Are you not being active as, as much as you think you should be or are at that moment in time? Again, use it as an estimate, a starting point, somewhere to then move forward from. Tracking, though, for a lot of people, it's just a way of understanding, as I've said, portion size, food content, how it's made up, and just an, an overall awareness of the foods being consumed. You know, we can all be guilty of at points of just sitting there and mindlessly eating what's in front of us. You know, you've got a sheer size bag of crisps, You've taken it into the living room to watch a bit of TV. You've opened it up. Before you know it, you're looking down at the crisp packet and it's empty. You know, I'm pretty sure we can all say we've been there before. So if we are tracking our food, we can just be a bit more aware of what is going into our mouths and make more of a conscious decision to only have a certain amount or do we actually really need to eat that food right now? Why am I eating this food? Is it through boredom? Can I do something else instead? Can I have a little drink of water? Can I fill myself up that way? There's different things that you can do. You know, it's thinking like, just do I really need this right now? That being said, tracking is not for everyone. And there are times where I suggest not tracking or taking a break from tracking. You know, if you find yourself not enjoying it, being overly restrictive, potentially obsessional with what you're tracking, then it's definitely time to take a break. The last thing you want to get from tracking is an unhealthy relationship with food, putting you in a worse position than where you started. So I'll tell you a little story. So a good few years ago, Christmas Day, I'm in the kitchen. I'm helping prepare Christmas dinner for the family and I find myself scanning barcodes. Scanning the packets of veg um, so I can add it to my fitness pal. I mean, Christmas Day. I remember I looked round and I saw the look from my wife and at that point I thought, you know what, Stuart, enough is enough. Let's take a break for a bit. Now, you see, I'd logged every day that year and it became a bit of a habit, which was fine. But as the days racked up, I didn't want to break my streak you know, it was like you've successfully logged for 359 days. Let's make it 360 type thing. You get a little message flashing up on your phone. It had become a little bit obsessional for me and being quite a competitive person, I just didn't want to break that run, you know, break that streak. 
However, I realise that Christmas Day of all days is not the day to worry about what is being consumed. I can't quite remember, but I do think I started back in the, the January time. But I did make that decision to only track every so often or take a break every so often from it. You know, I'm lucky that I can do this because I'm aware of what's in food. I know what my kind of daily allowance looks like in terms of what food looks like on a plate. And that would be the goal of tracking for you. Something that you, you don't have to rely on food tracking all the time. Yes, in the beginning, set yourself up for success. But afterwards, you're, you're more aware of everything. And you have the skills to then move forward without tracking. You'll get to a point where you can just go it alone. So you've got that awareness, you can make conscious decisions and there's no need to bust out the barcode scanner of which is supposed to be changing anyway. For my fitness pal, you actually have to pay for that part. That's part of premium. So the big selling point of that is you can scan your food for free, easy login. If you want, you can track for a week or two every now and then just to confirm that what you're doing is fine. It gives you that reassurance. It gives you that confidence in your own actions. But I would say definitely don't do it long term. You don't be like me on Christmas Day scanning stuff. Yeah, I'll hold my hands up. That wasn't a good thing for me. But I was at least I recognised that and I realised it was time to take a break. So what advice then would I give you if you are looking to, to track your calories? Number one, track everything. You won't get the full picture if you miss some food and drink. This is especially for those who are sharing their food diary with a friend or a personal trainer. You know, I, I get it, it's the fear of embarrassment. You know, you don't want to be judged. Oh, they'll judge me if I put a Mars bar in. They'll think my diet is crap. But missing foods will only put you further away from the results you want. So track everything without fear of judgment because the more information that's there, the more information you can then act on. So that was number one. Number two, track as you go or even put it into, say, my fitness pal the night before. If you leave it to the end of the day, you're likely to miss foods, which again goes back to point number one. If you can do it as you go, perfect. If you can do it the night before, almost says to yourself, I'm committing to having that tomorrow. Or even if it's a skeleton, you've got your breakfast, you've got your lunch and you've got your dinner, logged on you know what you're having it takes away that oh what's for tea that famous question what do you want for tea it removes that and you've got that clear focus i'm having x for tea i'm having y for tea number three you can create meals and recipes so that you don't have to add each individual ingredient again for me this was quite off-putting at the thought of doing that and it would stop me from logging but this can be so time efficient. It might take a little bit the first time around, but once you've got it saved as a meal or a recipe, you can just log it and it adds in everything automatically. Okay. Number four, you may have heard of it before, the 80-20 rule. 80% of your calories are clean, you know, the healthy, or what we, we deem to be healthy, and 20% are not. So if you are consuming 2,000 calories on a daily basis, 400 of those calories can be whatever you want it to be. Now remember, this is on average. 
Okay, so let's say you have two days where you eat clean, 100% clean, no sweets, cakes, crisps, and so on, then you could have two days where it's even a 60-40 split, 800 calories of non-clean foods, the, the foods that are deemed to be unhealthy, and you'll still stay on track. For me, it's a big thing not to remove all the nice stuff because then, as I mentioned already, you'll crave it more. You'll think about, oh, I wish I had that chocolate bar or I wish I had that cake. Um, if we can leave ourselves a little bit of wiggle room, then we're more likely to stick to it. For some, removing it altogether might benefit them because they might be you know, addicted to have or addictive personality and it's not just one bite to have, it's the whole packet type thing. But I personally think having a, a little bit of wiggle room for calories, for the, the good stuff, is a good thing. So that's four tips for you on tracking. I would encourage you to give it a go. If you've never tried tracking before, give it a shot, see how you get on. Like I've said, it's not for everyone, but you can give it a shot. That might be the thing that helps you get to where you want to be. Gives you a little bit of focus. So that then wraps up another episode. I hope you, you've enjoyed listening to me ramble on about protein and tracking and so on. But I do hope that you've taken something away from it. It'd just be great to hear your, your thoughts or your success with tracking if it's helped you I hope it does and I'll speak to you next time